The Brown Sign Project podcast is proudly supported by Stephen Spencer and Associates. There's reopening, then there's building back better, then there's creating a sustainable future business model. From managing change to customer experience design and brand communication, our innovation toolkit helps visitor attractions and destinations build forward better. You're listening to the Brown Sign Project podcast, bringing people together to share experiences and what they love about working within the tourism industry to inspire and empower the next generation of tourism professionals. Join Carlton and Carly as they dive into the world of visitor journey mapping. They will be bringing together panels of specialists to guide and help us understand visitor journey mapping and its role in delivering memorable visitor experiences. Hi and welcome to the Brown Sign Project. Um, my name is Carlton and we've got the lovely Carly here as well. Hi Carly. Hello, how are you? I'm doing really well, thank you. Okay, we've got a brilliant panel today. I'm so excited. Um, it's very international as well, which is cool, uh, which is a bit different for us. Um, we've got two fantastic guys on. Um, one is Mark. Hello, Mark. Hi, Carlton. Hello. And then one's Josh. Hi, Josh. Hey, Carlton. Hey, Carly. Glad to be here. Hey, good. Excellent. We're so happy that you guys are here. Um, so we're going to do quick introductions and then we're going to quickly go through what we're going to be talking about today on this podcast. So Josh, if you want to stay, take it away, just tell us a little bit about you, what you do. Sure. So I've been in the attractions industry for about 16 years now. I've worked for various operators, Cedar Fair, Disney, Universal, Merlin, I've been consulting for several years specifically on guest experience within the attractions industry. So using guest experience to amplify success, grow repeat visitation, grow loyalty, resolve from service failures. I've done a number of guest experience workshops, put together feedback analysis programs. Uh, I'm the co-host of the Attraction Pros podcast and most recently host of the new guest experience show provided by Roller Software. They have uh, brought me on as the guest experience evangelist to talk about the importance of using guest experience as uh, one of the primary components of your business. Best job title ever. I, I know. <laughs> it's like, I know it's the best one. It's very clergy-like, I, I would say. So I have to Yeah, I think we... We should all be guest service evangelists. I think that's there you go. I like yeah. it. And Mark, a bit about you, sir. Yeah. So um, I have 14 years. I was just calculating it in my head then. I thought I need to compete here. Uh, I have 14 years of uh, industry experience. So I actually started off, um, actually, can't, to be honest, I started off in the coach enthusiast uh, community. That was the way I found my passion for the industry. Um, but I've got a real passion for technology as well. Um, and uh, ended up getting involved in technology, um, particularly uh, apps and websites for different attractions. And that led to the creation of Attractions.io. So I'm founder and CEO of Attractions.io. Uh, and we work with theme parks, zoos, resorts, and other attractions uh, to help them offer to their guests a branded app experience that basically connects all of the guests experience together. So ticketing, point of sale, maps, virtual queuing, photography, all of those things into uh, a really seamless digital guest journey. So that's what we do. And that's my background. Awesome. Thank you so much, Mark. So 
we've got some awesome people doing some customer experience and guest experience stuff. So you must be wondering why have why they're here. So we're really going to kind of investigate um, the evaluation part of the um, of the customer journey, how that works, um, and we're going to we've got a couple of questions to kind of talk about measuring and um, MPSs and all that kind of stuff. So the guys are going to act, kind of explain that to us and kind of in, investigate. So I'm totally new to kind of this world of valuations and especially MPS. So, so what is MPS and why is that important um, as part of the, implementing a tourist attraction or is it important? Uh, so NPS, it stands for Net Promoter Score, and it is, I would say, highly regarded as being one of the most important metrics for measuring things like satisfaction and, and customer experience or guest experience. And really what it is, is on a scale from zero to 10, you're asking your guests, how likely are they to recommend you to a friend or family member? And then it, it goes into a, a whole formula. Basically, if you are above zero, then your NPS is considered to be positive. So it goes anywhere from negative 100 to positive 100. Um, and, uh, you know, the goal, of course, is to have more promoters than there are detractors. So the higher you are in the scale, uh, you are measuring how many people are promoters of your business. Or what, are they, what are they doing to promote your business out in the community uh, that they are likely to recommend you? And then closer to the bottom of the scale, you have the detractors. So those are people who are really actively working against you. They had such a poor experience that they are not only are they not likely to recommend that others visit you, but they are likely to recommend that others don't visit you. So that's why this metric is very important. And that's why you want to be on the positive side of that and provide such a superior experience that you are driving people to, towards those nines and tens uh, to be ranked as promoters of your business. Yeah. And I think we've, you know, we've all been there as consumers of whether that's a service or a product or whatever of thinking, actually, my experience was so bad. You sort of, you share those experiences more essentially because they, mm -hmm. they sort of stick in your mm -hmm. memory a little bit more. I think when you ask people to talk about really great experiences, it's much more difficult for them to to sort of recall something that really, you know, was great for them. And actually, if you make no impact on them whatsoever, that's really difficult to recall. <laughs> you know, right. the negative ones really stick, but the, yeah. the so the, those are your passive ones. ones. They're in the in the middle, who they're kind of they're kind of wishy washy. Maybe they'll recommend, maybe they won't. Uh, but yeah, you make a really good point about the detractors. And there's a lot of research out there as far as uh, you know how many people someone will tell when they have a positive experience versus a negative experience. And, you know, depending on which study you're looking at, it could be anywhere between 10 to 20 times more people that someone with a negative experience will, will share compared to someone who had a positive experience. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's also one of the reasons why it's important to proactively collect this information. So to actually ask guests uh, this question proactively, because if you're only going off uh, guest feedback that's received, um, sort of you know off, off the, the back of the guests themselves then as we've just discussed that is far more likely to be negative there's a negativity bias is the term that's used right towards that um i also think just it's worth mentioning for for anyone listening who maybe you know hasn't explored mps or isn't too familiar with it um it might sound a bit like there's this formula and it's a little bit complicated but it's actually really really simple so um you know as josh says it's a very simple question of you know whether you how likely you are to recommend to to your family and friends and it's a simple scale uh going up to 10 and zero to six are detractors seven to eight are passive 
nine to 10 are promoters. And to get that score from uh, minus 100 to positive 100, you basically just take the percentage of detractors from the percentage of promoters and ignore the passive. And there's your score. So, you know, it doesn't have to be a big, scary thing that's, uh, you know, difficult to implement. It's quite simple to implement. And the nice thing about it as well, giving you a simple number, is it's easy to benchmark uh, how you're doing against others and also how you're doing over time. Yeah. And I think one of the reasons why people might think it's so complicated is because it, it's not just a percentage score. So like if your net promoter score is 40, like that's phenomenal. That's not a 40% of a net promoter score. It's actually a, a very high number. Yeah. I suppose it can feel a little bit like, well, why aren't we in the nineties? You know, <laughs> why does that feel so low? But yeah, you know, when, when you've got that negative um, kind of backup to it, it's like, well, actually like say that, just being over zero really means that you've got more promoters and you have detractors and that that's that can be a big deal and it can really make the difference between a successful attraction and, and you know an, an unsuccessful attraction just just like a sub question to this do you think from your experiences that management in tourist attractions are very hung up on mps on there and it may affect other parts of the business in a negative way i think that you can get very hung up on that score. And, and so the, the, the nice thing about that score is kind of everything that, you know, that we talked about, that it's such a great metric as far as, you know, determining how likely are people to recommend you in the community. Um, but it doesn't necessarily provide all of that backup context to it. So, you know, I know we're going to talk about kind of other ways of measuring success. And so if you're using NPS as your only form of measurement, then it doesn't necessarily tell you what you need to do to actually improve. So you need to have context to say, well, why do we have this, you know, these amount of detractors, these amount of passive guests. And for the promoters, what did we do right? What can we do to now actually leverage their positive experience to, uh, to turn them into loyal ambassadors of the business? So it's, it's an incredibly important score. But Carlton, you bring up a good point that, you know, if, if you are very hung up on it, then you might miss kind of other opportunities or other information that might feed into what that score is made up of. So yeah, so then I guess that brings me to my question. I'm, I'm going to look at Mark for this one first, is um, what other matrix of, would you suggest for uh, measuring success? So I don't want to, mm. I want to sort of have a conversation with my senior leadership team about, you know, it's great that we know what our NPS is, but what else do we do? You know, what else can we measure to, to sort of back that up? Yeah, I mean, just to reiterate that point just made by Josh as well, I totally agree. You know, NPS is a measurement for benchmarking. You know, that's useful for that, but it's not for action. You know, it doesn't tell you what you need to do. So, you know, just a plus one on that for sure. I think um, it's interesting saying, you know, what are the metrics for success? Because I think it's a, it's a question you can't really answer because it depends what success means for you, you know, and you, you have to define that first. So if you're a small independent attraction that's really passionate about guest experience or animal care or you know, whatever it may be within your attraction, your success metrics might look very different to a public company or, or privately owned company, you know, owned by outside investors. Um, so, you know, I think on the guest experience side, NPS is a good go-to just as a benchmark and a measure. I think similarly on the commercial side, you probably want to look at things like spend per cap. Uh, spend per capita, so you know, spend per guest basically. Um, that's probably a go-to on that side. But then that you know, you really need to look around at that that other layer of feedback in in terms of what do we actually do to move the needle on these numbers. So they're like nice, you know, gauges for your guest experience and uh, your providing, and also for your commercial performance. But what's really important as a 
a management team and a traction is to understand what you actually need to be doing to, to move those. Yeah, I think you're right. If you're a really, you know, commercially focused attraction, it's probably really nice to put that in your, um, you know, your yearly report to show somebody, you know, the, last year we were at 14, now we're at 45, and this is what we've done for that. But yeah, I mean, outside of those circles, it's probably less um, informative in terms of, okay, well, how do we get from 40 to 45? How do we get from 45 to 50 and so on? Yeah, and, and I would, you know, echo what Mark said as well, as far as, you know, those other, those other benchmarks for success, obviously your per cap. Uh, the other thing too, is what's interesting about NPS is that it doesn't actually ask if you would visit again. So yes, it's incredibly important that you are going to be, you know, a, a vocal promoter outside of the business, hopefully posting an online review, telling, you know, sharing positive word of mouth, uh, but also repeat visitation. Uh, of course, is, is, I would say, just as important. Are they actually going to come back? Now, I know in our industry, repeat visitation could mean so many different things depending on the type of venue, depending on where it is on the guest demographic. Uh, you know, you guys are, uh, you know, out in the UK, you know, Carlton in Dubai, if I, if I fly out there and I visit one of your parks, uh, you know, my, my chance of repeat visitation, hopefully maybe there's a high intent but also that's actually why the NPS is very important. So when I come back here to Chicago, I say, hey, when you're going to the UK, make sure you go to this park, make sure you go to Alton Towers you know, and, and all that. Um, but also as far as would, would I return and do I return? So am I coming as a first visitor or as I come, am I coming as a repeat visitor? So that, that repeat visitation measurement is also very important because uh, I'm, I'm currently reading a, a book right now called I'll Be Back, uh, specifically that, that talks about repeat purchases or repeat visitation as it relates to customer experience. And it costs five times more to recruit new guests from a marketing standpoint than it is to retain your existing guests. So if you're providing an experience that is so positive that they're leaving you a nine and 10 on a, on a net promoter score, then the next thing should be, are you going to come back? Will you? And you know, hopefully you can, you can commit to that purchase right now. Yeah. So, and that's an interesting um, thing that you bring up in terms of, you know, I think all of us on this call would say we're, we're enthusiasts, you know, in our industry and actually, you know, I, I plan my holidays based on which parks and attractions I can go to. And you're right. You know, I might come home and rave about them, but it might be the only time I ever visit that park. And that's a really different market to, you know, some, someone who might be a really small local attraction who has a really, um, you know, people who come back every afternoon. I used to work at an aquarium and we had visitors who would bring their toddlers, you know, pretty much every day. That's a very different marketplace. I'm sure they raved about us too, but, you know, that we're not expecting sort of people from overseas to be visiting us every day. Every right. afternoon. But, but, you know, it, it, it's interesting that it, it does actually apply regardless of the size of the business. You know, I've, I've worked at a small FEC where I saw people there, you know, a few times a week or so. And I've worked in major theme parks where I saw people there almost every single day. And it's, you know, you've, even if you are a, a destination fly in market, you still have, you know, your, your local fan base. So that's, you know, that. Oh yeah. It. I mean, if I lived close enough to some of my favorite parks, I would be there every day too. I just don't. Every afternoon. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Hundred percent. Yeah, I wouldn't work. That would be an issue. <laughs> It'd be an issue. Uh, what we're going to do for you, Carly? Um, I know. But, yeah, yeah. Work. What's that? Which I want to pick about what what Josh has mentioned, and you've been talking about repeat visits. Um, so I'm going to start with Mark, if that's okay, if you just with this question. So, what's the biggest innovations that you've seen in encouraging people to come back to your attraction? 
Yeah, I guess I'm going to give a bit of a boring answer here. I mean, I, I don't think there's a silver bu- bullet or an, an, an innovation that's going to revolutionize things. I think, you know, if you pair it back, people come back if there's a reason to. Um, and I think the two main things are that you've got to gl- deliver, obviously, a great guest experience. Um, and you've also got to be, you've got to have an experience that's differentiated enough that people would want to return as well. So obviously, if you're operating an attraction that, you know, maybe is a three hour experience and it's the same every time. Is that compelling enough to actually, you know, encourage someone to to come back again? Or do you need to look at what you can do to make that experience maybe personalized or differentiated or run different events? Or, you know, there's a lot of things you can implement. Events is a great example to drive repeat visits. And I would say, you know, it's not necessarily a big innovation that just magically sucks people back to your attraction. It's actually looking at what your value proposition is um, and being smart about uh, how you make it compelling. And of course, good data, good uh, research, you know, research on, on what your uh, market um, is looking for. It is key to that. I mean, we've seen trends, all sorts of trends, certainly in the UK in the past, I don't know how long it would be now, probably the last 10 years to be fair, but you know, Halloween has just become every single year, bigger and bigger, for example. And in the UK parks, uh, theme parks in particular, but a lot of farm park attractions and everything getting in on the act as well. It's become like one of the big uh, sort of events of the year commercially um, from what was nothing. And that's, you know, that's adapting to the needs of of guests in your market and, and putting on something that's differentiated. It's, it's different to the other things you do in the year. There's maybe some new attractions. There's a new reason to go. So I think, um, you know, it's not, it's not, it's not really that I can give any specific innovation. I think it's more about just being fully aware of your, um, your offering, your market and, and getting the basics right. Of course, on top of that, you can use technology and different tactics to kind of maximize that. But if you don't have the, the value proposition right, then nothing is going to magically, unfortunately, uh, bring people back every day. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point, actually, about I think the UK market especially has become much more attuned to kind of seasonality um, and making those seasons last longer because, you know, and, and, you know, what where did the Blackpool illuminations come from? There's people didn't used to go to Blackpool later on in the season. And so we put the illuminations up. People extend their their stay or extend their season or specifically travel at a, a shoulder period. But parks really in the UK didn't have that up until a few years ago you know people did just it was the summer and it was all about the summer so I think that is a really interesting um change and and innovation that that really was maximized as well in light of the pandemic I mean Mm. certainly when we were sort of open towards the end of last year there were so many events at some of the parks in the UK right they were really trying to obviously maximize the guests once they were able to get some again and there was you know Oktoberfest and or anything you could sort of tag on to. There seems to be events <laughs> happening around it. So, um, yeah, I, I agree with that. Yeah, it's made a massive difference to uh, extending the season, definitely. And Josh, anything exciting that you've seen in terms of encouraging those repeat visits? You know, I definitely think that that Mark really hit all of the the major points right there. There's, you know, the the guest experience needs to be so great that people are leaving wanting to come back. And then, like you said, those those events, those additional reasons for people to come back. I always like to say, 
you know, when a guest is leaving, tell them what they couldn't do today. And it doesn't necessarily mean that something was broken down or that it was closed or whatever it was. But if you've got that event coming up in the future, it means that there's going to be a slightly different experience than there was during a regular daytime visit during, you know, during regular operating hours. If you've got a new attraction that's opening up in the future, then that is the perfect way to, to be able to tell people, hey, this thing's under construction right here. You probably saw all those walls up and all those signs up. Yeah, come back next summer when that's open. So now, now I have to go back because, you know, it, it's not built yet, right? I need to go today. Uh, and then, you know, I think that there's just a number of things that I think you can kind of classify as like training wheels of getting from satisfaction to guest loyalty through repeat visitation. So obviously this is where annual passes and memberships come in. I think that those that do it the best tell their guests what the upgrade value is while they are still visiting, maybe purchasing a day ticket to say, before you leave today, you can apply the value of your ticket towards the purchase of an annual pass. And then it's going to pay for itself in two and a half visits. So, or, you know, or, or whatever it is. So yeah, if you live close to that aquarium and you say, yeah, you can, you can just come here every single weekend when you've got family and friends in town, not only can you bring them, you can get them a discount because that's a, you know, a perk we're offering to, you know, to our members or to our annual pass holders. So tell them what they can't do today. Use that, obviously that annual pass or, or membership program to be able to leverage their satisfaction and turn them into that repeat visitor. Um, that then you know gets them to to spend more, but show the savings and the value on it too. Yeah, I think one of the things that I really um, liked, kind of in that space, was I think Alton Towers did it, but it, it probably was was done at a number of parks. Was doing the kind of second day upgrade. So if you came today, you could add a second day on for you know a, a, an upgrade fee, or like you say, become a member, and you get your your day ticket refunded as part of that, or whatever your upgrade value would be. Because you're right, I'm already in the park, you know, I may be here, I may be staying in the area or whatever it might be. And so even if I am traveling, that option to add a second day to add a little bit more to my visit becomes really a really kind of big grab um, for my attention. Really so, I totally agree with doing that as well. Um, you know, whilst they're still there, it's, yeah. it's, you know, if they've had a fantastic experience, it's the perfect time, you know, uh, they've, they've just made some great memories with their families and their family and friends. Um, so, I mean, we actually have it in, in the apps uh, that, that we deliver. We have um, the ability to do exactly that. So basically, because we have a digital wallet within the app and you bring in your tickets and passes, we can know what you currently have in your wallet. And then um, based on uh, your location as you're leaving at the end of the day, um, we can actually trigger. So you mentioned Alton Towers. There. I think they used to be called bounce back tickets, right? It's like, that's like come back tomorrow, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you can have different upgrade paths. So it could be come back tomorrow for 10 pounds, $10, whatever it is. It could be upgrade to an annual pass. Yeah. You refund uh, what you've already spent, but doing it at that, that very moment when you leave is definitely uh, an advantage. And I think what's nice about doing it in the app and what we found is that you know, you've got to communicate that message somehow. And it's not so easy putting it just on some, you know, signs, static signs, because people have banner blindness. You know, a lot of people yeah. aren't going to see it. I say, we, we all know that no one's reading those signs. Yeah. So, you know, but being able to actually, as you leave, and you can also do this based on things like, this is where the data comes in, because you can do it based on things like if they've had a good experience and you know that because you know what they've been doing and you know what a typical guest, a good day of a guest looks like then you can promote that as they're leaving. Um, and instead of having to, you know, to hope that they see a sign and then go and queue up at the admissions area to go and upgrade, they can just, you know, 
go into the app and put their fingerprint on or face ID or whatever and just upgrade their ticket instantly and it just pops into their wallet. And I think, you know, we've had great success with that and it just ties into doing things at the right time, um, doing th- striking while the iron's hot, as the same would go. Uh, and that, you know, definitely uh, has a big impact. So it's really interesting that both of you are really focusing on cu- um, communication and kind of building that rapport with people. So a, l- a little sub-question to ask you, do you think attractions and museums and them places, do you think they're doing, they're doing a good job about it now or are they still struggling or is it still kind of like touch points that they're just not achieving? What's kind of your experience so far with, with that? I think there's always room to grow. There will always be room to improve. I think that... Uh, Technology has made it both easier and has, in some cases, made made certain businesses a little bit lazier with that kind of communication process of just relying on the tech to, you know, to just, well, I'm just going to blast out an email to 200,000 people on my email list or whatever it is. Uh, so you want to make sure that you are fostering as many of those personal relationships as possible with your most satisfied guests you're certainly not going to be able to talk to every single guest that comes and visits you. But if this is something that trickles down to your frontline staff, then yeah, every single guest is being spoken to multiple times throughout their day. So those relationships really come up with those small moments with the frontline staff who's greeting them and every single opportunity, every single of those interactions is an opportunity to, I mean, you know, we could talk about kind of the, the guest satisfaction side of it and going above and beyond and creating a little bit of a personalized experience. But also if we're talking about repeat visitation and we're talking about driving loyalty, we're not just talking about the staff member at the register. You know, Mark just talked about how, how the app can really help that transaction go forward. So you don't need to say, hey, stop at guest services on your way out because they are going to be the one who can help you, you know, uh, upgrade your ticket. That might be true in, in many in many instances, but from a from a sales standpoint or from a recommendation standpoint, you know, every single staff member has the ability to sell an annual pass or to sell a membership. Now the transaction component, yeah, that might be limited to certain staff members or hell, it could be a lot easier just on the app, but you know, every single frontline staff member has that opportunity to help build that relationship and help foster their loyalty. Yeah, I think we, you're right, over the kind of past few years where CRM's really sort of taken over and, and every business now, you know, I, I used to have conversations about ticketing systems. I now have conversations about CRM systems. We're just coming at it from a different, we all still want the same data and the money. We're just coming at it from slightly different angles. But I think it has fostered a thing of, you know, we just want to communicate with everybody all the time. And that's really not a communication strategy. <laughs> that's just throwing stuff out and seeing what sticks, right? So, yeah, you think you're right. You've, you've got to still rely on your people to be selling that product, regardless of, of where you do the, then the transaction or how you email somebody later on. You're yeah. still relying on your, on your people, you know, and, and that we are an industry of, of people. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that as well. You know, the people element doesn't go away and it can have... I mean, we all know from our own experiences, I'm sure, you know, someone can make or break your day and interactions with people at different attractions. I think that will never go. Just back to the communication, you know, theme. I I love what Josh said about um, 
telling them what they missed or, you know, communicate what's new and that ongoing communication. And I think, you know, what I've observed is definitely that a lot of attractions do sort of, they do underutilize that, you know, they're not really um, following up at all uh, with guests after they leave still in 2021. We still definitely see that a lot. And I think about the blast to everyone, you know, that's, that's also a key, a key point because, personalization is just more important than ever. And, you know, obviously the channel that you are most likely to use, the most effective channel really for post-visit communications is email. And we know in email marketing in general, consumers are filtering out generic emails more and more. Like they're not interested in, you know, you can smell it a mile off almost, can't you? You know, it lands in your inbox, generic mass market email. Um, And we see that in the data that consumers aren't engaging with that. They're expecting more personalization. And I think that's where, you know, you've got to be intelligent about it. Uh, again, you know, one of the things we, we do with the apps is because it can track behavioral data, what you're actually doing on site, we're able to understand what your interests are. Um, so if you went to a zoo, for example, um, we might see that you spent an hour looking at the lions or whatever. And then our post communication follow up might be news that they've just been a new lion cub litter or it might be adopt a lion you know to drive uh, adoptions uh, and that that's a much more effective communication channel and then the final thing i'd say just going back to the people again is that you know the technology has to service you know you can't just use technology for technology's sake so obviously we're touching on some uses of technology here but really it should be able to it's, it's there to elevate the experience of course but that can mean elevating the the people that you have you know what they're able to do how they're able to communicate with guests and offer a personalized experience so yeah it's important not to lose sight of that as well i'd say yeah i think we hear a lot about you know the automation of industries and how that you know we're going to push people out of work and things like that i think actually really good embedding of um organizational software whatever that sort of is should free up your people to actually just do a better job you know you shouldn't you, you can do the same amount with less people but wouldn't you rather have the same amount of people and serve more <laughs> you know have a more um, conducive relationship with people have serve people better than you know just saying well if if we put crm in we can save a, a person a, a week you know every week well yeah okay but what if that person actually was really dedicated to making people's experience really great that's a much better use of that person you can't automate really good service in that way the way you can with a human it's really important. Totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the more, you know, the more power you can give to your front of house staff members uh, combined with the efficiency and the, and the proficiency in that technology, the guest is having a better experience with the face-to-face interaction. And there might be, you know, those, the, the benefits of the technology and maybe that higher sales. So yeah. I, maybe, maybe I'm just giving a, a sales pitch for Mark here, but you know, if you've got maybe a, a ride operator in the back of a theme park, who's talking to a guest and saying, oh man, I'm having a great time. Maybe I should upgrade to an annual pass. You know, they could say, Hey, you need to walk all the way to the front. You need to wait in line. Someone needs to ring up the transaction or, Hey, pull out your phone, pull up the, uh, pull up the app right here. And you can do it right here. You know, while they're, while they're in the back of the park before they've even left. And now they, they can start using those benefits. So um, yeah. Like uh, I said, not, not intended to just be a sales pitch, but just an example <laughs> of, of uh, thanks, of, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> of of what the technology can do to enhance the experience for both the guest and for the for the staff as well. Now they feel more connected with that guest's experience as well. Yeah, I think um, just interesting in in that respect is 
it used to sort of feel like if you didn't work in the guest services space, you know, if you went stood at a till, that somehow you weren't a salesperson. And I think that's really short-sighted. And I think the the adaptation of you can sell something anywhere because we're all essentially carrying a till around with us in our pocket with a smartphone. Actually, we've sort of freed up that as well as an idea to think, oh, actually, maybe I can sell something. And, you know, I don't have to be stood behind a till anymore. And maybe you, know, you could even rephrase uh, you know, or, or take out the word sell. Like, you know, when I, when I've talked to, you know, attractions and talking to people who are not in a transactional role to say, Hey, it's not about selling. It's about communicating the experience that the guest is able to have. And, and you know what the guest can do to have an even better experience. If it's, if it's doing that VIP tour or that behind the scenes at the aquarium, yeah, you might not be able to ring it up, but you can, you can talk about it from an excited standpoint and let the guests know what they can do to, to be able to get that experience. Yeah, I totally agree with that as well. I think sales, you know, it is adding value, basically. Like if you're going to be selling something, you know, at a, an attraction, it's it's because you're going to be delivering a service to give the guests a great time. Like that's what you're offering. That's your product, right? So th- that mindset, I think, is important. And also, I, you know, I have observed, you know, sometimes there's a bit of a friction between kind of people championing the experience versus people championing, you know, the commercials and and I don't think it needs to be that way. I, I do think, you know, you can serve both. There was a good example there. Another example that springs to mind is like um, uh, things like fast pass sales. You know, if you look at, so our local park is Alton Towers. So, but as with many parks, the parks are built generally so that the thrill rides and the big, big attractions are at the extremities, right? So you go through all the retail and et cetera on the way to it and, and vice versa. Um, but that means that, you know, if you go to a ride that's, and Alton Towers is a vast site. You could be a 40 minute walk from the entrance and then it's like, oh, there's a 60 minute wait. Okay, I can walk back another 40 minutes and go and purchase a pass to <laughs> skip the line. By the time I've got there, I may as well have waited in the line, you know. So in an example like that, you know, being able to um, uh, actually sell something uh, through an app, for example, is something that both helps commercially, but it also that's a better experience for the guests. And it shouldn't be seen as like, oh, you know, everything isn't um, experience versus commercial. I think, you know, if you look at your product, there's a lot of things you can do across the whole guest journey to uh, improve both at the same time. And it doesn't always need to be uh, kind of pitted against each other. Yeah, I think and and what becomes clear when you work in an, an organization that really gets the idea is that happy people buy things, <laughs> happy people spend money. If you take care of your people, they will come back and spend more money with you. Um, generally speaking, because that you know they want to support your organization and, and what you're what you're getting at. Um, so my next question, and, and it's it's a bit more, I guess, of a we want hard answers here, people. <laughs> so what are the we want two recommendations for from each of you as to what you think um, attractions should be doing to evaluate and measure their experience. So I'm going to start with Mark. That's okay. Um, so I want two two hot tips for what can people be doing to to get that feedback and make sure that they're measuring their their performance properly. Okay. Um, so I think I'm going to go back to one of the things I touched on earlier, which is know what you want to measure. Um, it sounds like so basic, and it sounds like you know that's almost not an answer. But I think yeah, again, in my experience, just talking to different um, operators, uh, there's often not it's not always clear and it's not always communicated across an organization what is being measured and why. Um, and I think it does go back to like the beginning of, of just 
what kind of organization are you? What, it, what are you aligned to? What are your objectives? And then looking at those metrics that tie to that and actually having it um, decided and communicated that this is, you know, these, these are the data points that we uh, were going to be following. Because I think generally in the industry, you know, it's, um, if you look at technology businesses, they're so data driven. You know, if you look at an e-commerce business, everything's data driven they've got data on everything every visitor every how long they've been on each page they can optimize the checkout experience you know all of that's there and obviously in the in the attraction space when you've got this physical location um you can't really operate like that because the the data doesn't tend to be there and um and that means there isn't really a data-driven mindset in 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 attractions but you know i'm certainly a believer that 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 is becoming possible. It's becoming accessible to people. And I think it can help to drive the experience. And one of the things that I like to evangelize about, uh, just to steal your job, <laughs> your title there, uh, Josh, is, is the fact that, um, you know, you can be data driven and some people think, oh, that's, you know, it's not in the spirit of kind of the, the guest experience delivering great, you know, people and, but it absolutely can be. It's, it's that thing again about it, it doesn't have to be at loggerheads with, um, you know, what our industry is trying to do. It's, 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 you know, you can be data driven about things in a way that just helps you to deliver a fantastic guest experience and increase the commercial performance of your attraction in a smart way. So instead of having to rely on kind of the intuition of operators who have got like 25 years experience, and then be struggling to actually even measure what they're doing anyway. You, you can just lead from the data, make that transparent. So I think, yeah, getting long-winded, but I think, you know, knowing what you want to measure as a team, at least at the leadership level, like understanding that and aligning that to the objectives of the um, organization is important. Um, and then I would say, I, I think top two things. I think you've, you've got to have a source of truth for it. I think, um, so, you know, if that's if that's the setting of like what are we measuring and making sure it's communicated, I think the second thing is you've got to be able to track it and you've got to be able to sort of access it um, in an easy way. Because again, something we find a lot is that attractions um, struggle. They've got information silos. They've you know, if you're looking at the full picture of data, it's not just surveys. It's not just um, you know, sending out a net promoter score survey or doing some exit surveys. It's also actual data on what's happening, right? You want to combine real data of what guest behavior is with research data and questioning that you're sending out to make the best possible decisions to improve operations and improve the guest experience. So unless you have a way of um, breaking down those silos between your food and beverage systems, so you understand you know, what people are buying, how many people upsell stuff. I mean, unless you can break down that barrier and break down the barrier of ticketing and break down the barrier of, you know, photography and sort of get that full picture um, on, a, on a kind of uh, a dashboard that's, it, it kind of democratizes being able to be data-led, right? And I think that's something I'm really passionate about. I think um, so many attractions are flying blind in terms of, measuring performance because they don't have somewhere they can go to see what's happening and um everything's in separate systems and it's not useful it's not useful like that so i think the the two big things for me to try and summarize is one is knowing what you want to measure because it's not the same for everyone and you should that should be aligned with your strategic objectives and your goals as an organization and how you're set up and then the second thing is making sure there is a simple um dashboard breakdown an area where you can actually pull from all your different 
sources of research and actual data of what's happening on your attraction, some high level metrics on what's happening. So you can actually, actually measure your performance, you know, without that, you won't be able to. And, um, you know, there's that saying of what gets measured gets improved. I think it's very true. And I think, um, it, it can be, a, it can be daunting to actually just try and measure in, in something that's as complex as the operations of an attraction. So yeah. hopefully that, uh, <laughs> yeah, sense. I mean, it's a, it's a big ask, but I think you, you're right in terms of if you can narrow down, you know, concentrate on the data that you have and what you can measure from that and what you can impact from that i think yeah then then start with the the easier things <laughs> and then you know like I said then when you get bigger braver and you will want to start looking at data from all over your organization but start with the, the kind of quick win ones that you yeah uh, of course you know it doesn't have to be it is daunting because as i say so many different systems and um it could be a huge project to just say right let's do this from start to finish but of course you can take um small steps in that direction right it's it's better to do that initially yeah. all you need is just maybe a spreadsheet with just the one or two key things that you just make sure as a leadership team you're tracking each day and you can share with the organization like i'm, I'm a big fan of you know um being able to do that and put it in a format that that allows you to make decisions off it you know it, it is going back to that point that you know data is only useful um if you're going to act on it and you can only really understand how you're performing if you are reliably measuring it and it is difficult uh, in the environment we're in it's not like an e-commerce website where there's just all these tools that plug in and there you go today you've got everything so um yeah but i think i'm passionate about it i do think it's really important um so uh, you know that they're the two things i would say awesome thank you josh what what are your two top tips yeah, <laughs> you've got to follow on from yeah mark i totally agree with all that yeah, no, thank, thank you for sharing that. Uh, the first one I would say is actively collect guest feedback. Uh, there's so many times where I'll be talking with an organization that they have no mechanism in place, not even that NPS score at a minimum to get out to guests to be able to measure their satisfaction or not even just about measuring, but, but collecting feedback from guests that they can use to help build that relationship. So whether it is you know a post-visit survey, whether it is a survey kiosk that's on site, uh, mystery shop evaluations, I mean, just anything that you are doing to actively, proactively find out what it is that guests are saying, even just, just from the hospitality component. How was, how was your visit? What did you enjoy about, about your visit today? What could we have done to make the experience better? Tell us, we, we want to be open, open up those channels of communication. Guests have something to say. Every, everybody does, but the amount of feedback that people leave is so minimal compared to, you know, overall attendance in, in the majority of organizations, especially when it comes to guest complaints. Uh, there's a study I saw not too long ago that said about 95 to 96% of people who have a poor experience will not complain. That is terrifying, right? You've, you know, 96, not to say that 96% of your guests had a bad experience, but those who did, almost every single one of them just isn't going to come back, yeah. right? They're not going to tell you 
what you did wrong or what you could have done better to improve. So by actively being out there, you can help, you know, hopefully shorten that gap a little bit to collect those guest complaints and don't be afraid of those complaints. Those are opportunities to really be a hero, to be able to improve the relationship, to be able to get the guest back on the side of satisfaction. So actively collecting guest feedback is, is the first part of it. And I think it kind of uh, just dovetails nicely into the second one. And that is that you shouldn't just look at the quantitative. So I know that we talked a little bit about it earlier when we talked about net promoter score and that there isn't uh, much context that kind of supports that as far as what you need to do from an operational standpoint or from a business standpoint to make those improvements. So don't be afraid of that narrative feedback, of that open-ended feedback of what it is that your guests are saying. It's definitely harder to aggregate it's harder to, certainly harder to process uh, if you were going through and reading every single comment, you know, from every single guest. But if you set that up with your team, having someone who oversees the guest feedback collection, the guest feedback, you know, management process, then there's a lot of great information that might not show up on a spreadsheet, or it might not show up in just a, a you know one to five, one to seven, or zero to ten survey. That is incredibly useful to say. All right, this actually adds a lot more context to that net promoter score. That's why you know our, our score dropped you know five points last quarter because we found it here in the narratives. Uh, so actively collect guest feedback and don't just look at the quantitative. Make sure that you are also looking at that qualitative, that narrative. Uh, component of it as well. And I know what you know you said about you you can't really aggregate sort of the the more qualitative stuff. But I tell you who does know that is your guest services team. Yeah. <laughs> because <laughs> it's in I, their head. <laughs> yeah. And and you know, because they might not necessarily be able to give you, you know, super quantitative stuff in terms of, oh, I have this complaint 10 times and this complaint seven times. But if you say to your guest services team, give me the top five things that you hear. <laughs> every day you know they'll tell you off the top of the head because they already know that they already yeah. know the questions that you know that, that they're constantly being asked and i, I can give you, you an example talking, of that too yeah, I, so many years ago when i was working in guest services and guest communications and literally living and breathing phone calls and emails and i uh, basically solely quantitative or qualitative excuse me data and and these conversations with guests and part of my job was also to put together a guest feedback report where we just took massive amounts of these comments that were, you know, coded to each department and what it was that the guest was referring to and found out that really very few people were actually reading this report because there was just nothing actionable from it. If, you know, year over year we dipped, you know, 5% in uh, you know, service at this one, you know, food and beverage stand, you know, e even that doesn't provide enough context there. So I took that, I, I revamped it and kind of wrote a, wrote a paragraph narrative kind of as the, as the intro to it. And like you said, those five things I said, here's, here's the top five things guests are talking about. Once I did that, I started to actually see improvement in the park and in the feedback that was coming in by a number of complaints being minimized. And those were dollars saved. Those were guests saved, you know, those were, you know, just a number of uh, an additional revenue generated from it as well. So, so many benefits from being able to take a look at just what it is your guests are saying and improving it based off of that, not just what the numbers were. Yeah, yeah. I think that's really vitally important. And I, I'm working on a project at the moment where we're doing, we're, we're trying to take some of that qualitative stuff and quantify it. But when you talk, you know, it's amazing when you start talking to the guest services team and you're like, you know, 
what what com- what other what complaints do you get and they can tell you off the top of their heads what they're right. what they're, mm-hmm. they're living it every day right i yeah. think it also it, it ties back a little bit to what we said earlier about you know nps is a great measure for benchmarking but not for action and i think this is where the qualitative data comes in and why it's so good to have it side by side because you know through the quantitative data, you can see trends quite quickly, especially if it's coming through in real time, right? So you might see that a particular restaurant, the ratings have dropped, um, people aren't happy. But again, that doesn't tell you why. And that's where if, if you're able, if you're in a situation where you're able to see that, but then you're able to dive into that period for the qualitative data that's been collected, if you've been collecting it. And just to extend the sort of restaurant example, uh, you may then see in that data that, you know, people have been complaining about food quality or service time or whatever it is. And that, that will give you the actionable uh, context to actually go and improve it and hopefully drive back up that uh, quantitative data that you're collecting. So they, they, they just, you know, they go together perfectly to, to sort of um, help you monitor and benchmark, but then also you need that qualitative data to, to understand oftentimes uh, what the action should be. And I think part of it too is, you know, when you look at, you know, we'll use, you know, NPS, we'll pick on it, you know, for a little bit more uh, as, <laughs> as just, you know, the benchmark I, that sometimes it might suggest, well, here's a one size fits all, or here's that, you know, that silver bullet approach solution that is going to raise this score. Now you bring in what you just said about, you know, the, the restaurant. All right, well, let's actually dive in a little bit deeper let's hone in on, well, okay, maybe, you know, what I say a few minutes ago, you know, service at this particular, you know, food service location has, you know, dipped X percent year over year. Okay, well, what days is that happening? Let's get even a little bit more granular with that. What are people saying? Maybe it could lead it directly to, you know, maybe it's, it's the team leader that's working that shift that is responsible for all those complaints. So, okay, we now need to coach that staff member or maybe move them to another area of the business or whatever it is. But then it comes down to that. All right. We now need to have that, that personal component with the staff to be able to say, Hey, we're getting these complaints that is then leading to this data that is then showing this large drop in scores. So we need to get as micro as possible. And it might be in a number of different areas, but that's, you know, the, the joy of having very complex operations like, like our industry does. I, you know, you can't look at it just from that macro standpoint. You want to, you want to drill in and get as specific as possible. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. I, I've, I've just been quiet. I mean, you guys are just like blowing my head at the moment this has been absolutely fantastic on, on there so thank you so much for sharing all that information um but i do want you to get your crystal balls out because i need to ask you a question regarding the future of kind of relationship management systems what do you think that's going to look like for example do you think it's going to be ai led um do you think there's going to be like really like a lot of data capturing but really heavy data or um, that pre-book of tickets is—is is that going to—is going to, is that going to be important in the future? So, um, yes, if you can come tell us the future, that'd be great. Um, we'll we'll start with Mark, please. Sure. Uh, so, I think I've already touched on the the theme of personalization. Um, I think you know that is going to be a big thing. I mean, the the way. Um, just to go back to the analogy earlier about the e-commerce business, or just let's say digital businesses in general. So, um, you know, the book, The Experience Economy, I'm sure you guys are familiar with it, but, you know, we're competing for time. I think even today, you know, some teenagers could eat, there you go. (laughs) So some teenagers could easily choose to, you know, play Xbox or watch Netflix rather than go to a theme park. And as as we progress and there's things like AR and VR and, you know, 
it's quite it's quite uh, reasonable to think that there'll be even more appealing things for you to do from home. Um, and it's the whole thing of your, you know, one of your big competitors will be the couch uh, because you could be sitting maybe doing an AR experience with animals and why, why come to a zoo? And that's quite depressing to think about that. But um, I think, you know, it's only going to be more competitive with digital alternatives. And that's why I think, you know, the attractions industry, you can either, you know, embrace technology, uh, think about your guests, think about the market, who, who's, what, what, what do they want? What do they expect? Um, and really embrace technology and, and kind of integrate it to make that a compelling competitive uh, option. Or you can be dismissive of technology and sort of say, you know what, we don't really want people using their phones or, you know, that's, that's not what we're about. But I think, I think you do that at your peril. You know, that, that's, that's what I would say. And I think, again, it comes, it comes, it comes back to this kind of friction that I think doesn't always need to be there between, you know, whether it's commercial versus experience or it's, you know, technology versus experience. Um, I think you've got to look at it holistically and you, you can get both. And I just think, yeah, in terms of relationship management, there, there will be more um, data capture, I'd say. And I think the big thing is just that it will make it, it will make it personalized, you know, if you think of what that might look like, um, you know, it could be that when you uh, go and visit a park, um, it adapts based on other channels. I, I think of Disney, you know, the whole metaverse thing. Um, they, they spoke about it at um, a few events now, but you think of the IP they own that's both, you know, inside the park, but also outside the park, the Disney Plus, the merchandise, there's just so many things that if you can get a profile of a user, um, you can actually, you can actually completely customize the experience. You know, it may be that, uh, you go on a certain ride and as rides augment with technology as well, it may be that that ride is different for every single person when they go on it, it's based on what they're watching at the moment on Netflix or <laughs> whatever it may be. Um, so looking a little bit, you know, longer term, there's the, that, that kind of augmentation I think is an interesting, uh, concept, um, you can see it's the you know, technology will be available to track and do that. Um, so to predict exactly how it will go, of course, is it, difficult, but I think personalization is a big thing. I think you've got, you've got to make it compelling. You've got to make it easy and you've got to know your, know your market, know, know the emerging, you know, the teenagers today are the parents of tomorrow and the, you know, et cetera. Right. Um, and we know things like they're not willing to wait the same as previous generations, like, they everything's on demand for them it's instant access so queuing is a real big pain point you know why go queue to for something when you could maybe have a vr experience or play your xbox or whatever so it's, it's just being aware of that i think and, and and working um working to really uh take a lot of what you know the digital world uh does really well and augmenting it to elevate um to elevate that like i say people don't go away but I think, you know, people will be more elevated by technology. Things will be more personalized uh, to make it engaging, to make you want to go back, to make it competitive against things that are on demand instant and very, very, you know, increasingly more immersive that you could do from home. Awesome. awesome. That's brilliant. I think if we can try and say awesome in tangent every time we do that, Carlton, that'd be great. <laughs> no problem. I can use your word again if you want. It's definitely my word. Okay, fine. <laughs> Josh, what's your what's your predictions um, on your future thoughts? 
Sure. Yeah. So saying awesome is a habit of mine too. I think that that's like my default response to when I have I hear- a, I have a t-shirt that says it and uh, <laughs> it literally, I just a t-shirt that just says awesome. And um, I've been in places where people kind of point at it and say awesome. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> forgetting, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> forgetting that I'm wearing this t-shirt. It's kind of embarrassing. Yeah. I, Sorry. Move on. <laughs> no, I, I think, you know, a lot of what I'm thinking uh, has a lot of, a lot of overlap with, uh, with what Mark was saying too. you know, use, technology and data to your advantage to learn more about your guests so you can serve them better. And that includes the additional personalized attention from the staff that we talked about earlier. It can go towards helping to curate what a guest's day looks like. They, some people do a lot of research before they go to a park. Some people show up and and just take off. So being able to kind of uh, learning who that guest is, what it is that they're looking to do, what their what their group is like. If it's their family, we want to make sure that you know that they participate in as much as possible. That is going to lead them with that enjoyable experience. So we can have that that kind of day to day in the moment, uh, personalized touch with them by by having the data that helps us understand who the guest is, and also from a from a long term strategy as well by looking at both active behaviors, what guests are. Maybe, maybe feedback that they're leaving, as well as passive behaviors too, as far as the way that they are uh, taking on their own experience and, you know, maneuvering through the, you know, through the park or through the venue or, or whatever it is, can help dictate a lot of future strategic decisions as well, and maybe even capital investments. And what is it that we now need to look to do? Uh, what, what IP do we want to look towards licensing? Uh, you know, if you, if you think of Netflix, I mean, just think of all the data that they have on us. You turn it on, those recommendations that they give you are pretty spot on based on, you know, your past history and based off how you've rated things, you know, and, and even looking at not just what they're recommending to you, but now what's also being created. You know, they know that millennials love murder documentaries. So now there's, you know, there's like 10 of those every single month that are being put out and they're being eaten up because this is what the people want. I think, I feel like that sort of level of sort of user generated content is especially millennials and murder documentaries (laughs) is definitely changing the world. Like we are shaping the internet, you know, and that's becoming our our world as content. And it's pretty incredible that we're at that level of just shaping people's context in in their experiences. And we feeding the algorithm. And and that it it just spits out the answers as far as what we're able to do to now, and and we can bring this back to our industry. Well, what is this new attraction? What is this new IP? What is this new venue or or whatever it it is? Maybe it's, it's a, you know, restaurant we need to partner with to, you know, to bring them in uh, that is going to get people excited and get people to come visit and tying it in with everything we talked about earlier, get people to come back because now here's, here's something new that was put in place because they know who I am. They know what I'm looking to do. So, uh, yeah, use, use technology and data to your advantage to improve the guest experience in the moment from the operational standpoint and from a long-term strategic planning standpoint as well. Great answer. Great answer. Super awesome. I'm holding that word back now. You know, 
fine. <laughs> no, thank you so much for that. That's that's brilliant. Um, and I hope our listeners get a lot of information to support mm. them with their with their attractions and kind of their, their their journey and their career development as well with this information. Mm. So thank you so much, both of you, for for taking the time to kind of share this kind of point of the journey map and uh, which is the evaluation part. So before we go. I want to find out where we can find you um, on the internet. So Josh, where can we find you? Uh, I would say one of the best places is LinkedIn. Just uh, just look up Josh Liebman um, and, uh, and you'll find me. I'm happy to connect. Feel free to reach out. Uh, I love networking and you know I've been doing a lot of it virtually for, uh, you know, for the last 14, 15 months or so. Um, and you know, of course, looking, looking forward to in-person events resuming. So if you see me at the conference, definitely... Uh, come and say hi. Follow me on Twitter as well, uh, Joshua underscore Liebman. Uh, again, happy to to connect everywhere and uh, looking forward to continuing any conversations if, uh, if anyone wants to reach out and talk. Excellent. I think we all agreed in Scott about our pre-show conversation that in-person networking is definitely uh, for our industry is <laughs> definitely needed. I think yes. we're, de- we're, we're all... Um, sort of not all extroverts really but we're all definitely people people and i think we've all missed our uh, in-person networking events yeah i, th- I think uh it's it's going to be crazy seeing people in person <laughs> you know I've, yeah. I've already determined that you know if if we've met on zoom i feel like that's just equivalent of meeting so if we if yeah. we meet in real life it's going to be nice to see you not nice to finally meet you i feel like this is you know this is yeah. this is now the new normal of meeting people so oh yeah absolutely yeah. Yeah. In the way that I feel like, as a, and I, I think all of us maybe fall into this category just because of the kind of people that we are, but in the way that like you met friends on the internet, like way back and you'd meet in a chat room or whatever, it's like, yeah, we're in real life friends, you know, <laughs> it's not just a Zoom friendship. Right. <laughs> we're in real life. Now it's come full circle. Now we're meeting our friends online again. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, it was going to happen. Wasn't it? Right. <laughs> and Mark, and Mark where, where can we find you? think I'm going to copy that verbatim. I think exactly the same for me, really. LinkedIn, um, if you search for Mark Glocker, you'll find me there. Also happy to connect and discuss. Um, super passionate about uh, some of these subjects, um, data in particular, and the on-site guest experience and technology. So always happy to chat. Of course, our, if you're interested in apps, forget the plug-in there, um, then you should visit attractions.io as well. Um, but no, it's, uh, yeah, maybe see you soon at an event. I don't know which events are going to go ahead, but we are signed up to quite a few. So um, hopefully uh, hopefully we'll be able to see some of you there. Yeah, I'm not going to jinx it, but I'm going to say, I think Barcelona in September is is going to be the, the first big one. I think it's going to be a, a, a party. If ever there was a, a EAS party, <laughs> it's going to be there. Um, so yeah, let's fingers crossed. We we can all meet in real life. Would be nice. I, I would say it's odd just in our company as well. Like there's so many employees I haven't met yet. We just organised our first company day, and um, yeah, that's that's going to be weird. That's definitely going to be a case of um, good to see you again rather than nice to meet you because you know <laughs> you so, feel like you've so known them for so long. Time. Yeah. yeah, so much Zoom time. Clocked up those hours. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, guys.